0: Welcome to the Trinity Table Talk Podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I'm Andrew Winiger, and on this episode, Father Tim Suits continues our look at the sacraments by looking at the sacrament of communion. We will see that Eucharist is God's nourishment for our souls, God's binding of his people to himself and to each other, and the weekly renewal of Christ's covenant promises to us. All right, so last week we talked a bit about baptism and sacramental theology in general. So this week we're talking about the the sacrament of communion, Eucharist. Uh, We know that it's a a visible sign of an invisible reality to use Augustine's famous words. Um, it is a, it is a, um, visible word that God is speaking to and for us. So my first question is what is, what's the invisible reality being represented by bread and wine?
1: Andrew, I love how you frame the question. Um, because you really focused us on where we need to where, where we need to draw our attention and our our thoughts today. So often when we think about sacraments, especially if, if we were raised in a memorialist tradition, um, we tend to think in terms of what we are saying to God in them. Mm. So a memorialist view in baptism, which we talked about last week is this is my decision for God that I am publicly communicating right? It's my word to him. Or even when we have, you know, the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, it is my statement of my memory that Christ's once and for all sacrifice is still efficacious for me today. But when we actually look at what's going on in, in the biblical narrative, what we always see is that sacraments, whether that's baptism or the Eucharist, or what we would call also the Lord's Supper, is always a word that God is saying to us. It is first and foremost His word of His gospel to His people. And so it is a word describing who He is, who we are, what His posture is towards us, and who He is making us to be. So today, I think maybe we could talk through three words that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And the first is this, I am the bread of life. I think that's the very first word that he speaks in the sacrament. Um, we see this just beautiful sermon that Jesus gives in John chapter six, where he communicates that he is the bread from heaven. And that if you eat of, eat of him, then you'll live forever. Here's what he says. John six verses 47 through 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now it's interesting That when Jesus talks about his work for his people, which we know this hasn't yet happened in the narrative, but he's going to die on behalf of his people. He's going to offer up his flesh as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world. And then his flesh will be resurrected into life that we are then resurrected into. But here's, here's something interesting. He says that if you eat of his flesh, then you will live forever. Now different kinds of things eat get different kinds of things, right? Plants in some, you know, interesting way through photosynthesis eat the sun, right? They consume the sun, it's what gives them energy. You and I, you know, we eat plants and animals. And those plants and animals are digested in our stomachs and they give us energy which then propels us to life. Something outside of us comes into us to give us life. That's what it means to eat, right? And what is Jesus saying here? That which is outside of you must come into you in order to give you eternal life. Now, who do we know who Jesus is? He is the one who is fully God and fully man, and in his divinity is life itself, God's divinity is by definition life. He's the one whose act and his existence are the same thing. We've talked about this in our Doctrine of God episode. If you're a Trinity Anglican, you are probably tired of me saying this, but (laughs) God is the fullness of life. That is what it means to be eternal. It doesn't just mean he happens to be lingering around, you know, loitering in the cosmos forever. To be eternal means to be the fullness of life at all times. And therefore... If human beings are going to live forever, they must consume an energy source that is never ending. The sun will burn out. Animals over time, you know, you keep eating them and then your body wears out and they can't consume them forever. But it's interesting. The human soul was meant to feast upon divinity, to commune with divinity, to get life from divinity. And that's why it means that the wages of sin is death because the wages of sin is to be alienated from the source of life who is God himself. But here's also what Jesus is saying. My flesh is the conduit to this divinity that will give you eternal life. What is he saying? The only way to access divinity that will give you life that will give you eternal life, that will fill you up forever, is through me and me alone. He is the only well, you know, he's the only fountain that actually is tapped into the well of eternal life. All other fountains promise to give you eternal life, and they don't. They will leave you hungry, they will leave you thirsty, they will leave you dead. But he is the one who will actually bring you to the very source of life, God himself.
0: That's good. I was, um, I think it was a couple months ago that I taught this to my fourth and fifth grade class, or I, I wrote the lesson. I can't remember which, um, and trying to teach the sacraments in a sacramental, like with sacramental theology in mind is incredibly difficult to do that for people who, uh, don't have abstract thinking capabilities yet fully.
1: Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, I thought I was going to get excommunicated as a kid because my dad and (laughs) I, uh, my dad was an elder in our Presbyterian church. And like, like a good man, he said, I I need to, I need to help lead our children. So he and I would lead our, the second and uh, the the, uh, two and three year olds. And it was like I'm always my favorite Sunday because shocker, I didn't want to listen to the sermons. You know, I was <laughs> I wanted to go help with the kids, and so we were there. we tried trying to explain the Eucharist to them, and I just remember one of the kids goes, "So you drink the blood and." All the kids just collectively shout out, Ew. And I just think, oh dad, they're gonna kick us out of church. They're gonna kick us out of church for this. And it's on you, it's not on me, Dad. But anyway, go ahead, Andrew. So no. kids don't have abstract thinking skills, been there, experience uh, that one.
0: Yeah, I think I think I had a fear of that exact same thing happening. Sure. Um, but I I started with the fact that you um, we're we're communing with God. God has given us this means of of communion with him. Um, And unlike the other religions of the world, it isn't uh, prayer or meditation or some kind of very cognitive heavy practice. It's eating, Hmm. receiving food. And what happens when we eat food? All right, so if it's bread, it's broken down into glucose. Glucose is breaking down into ATP to give our cells energy. I either sound really smart or really dumb right now. Um,
1: Depending on if someone knows what they're talking about, it probably sounds dumb to the people that know what they're talking about and smart to the people like me that don't.
0: But this this food is broken down to give us energy. And what a beautiful affirmation of our createdness that God uses that very process to communicate how He gives us life. When we commune, like you said, we feast upon Him. But we don't just feast upon Christ's divinity. We feast upon His body, mm-hmm. His blood. We, we feast upon those things that His humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. That is actually at the very heart of the Reformation debates about um, what's going on in the sacrament. Mm-hmm. So... The Roman Catholic view tends to be, it has to be that, to be that, to be that, right? So, in order for you to be eating the body and blood of Jesus, it has to be that reality. And therefore, it is transubstantiated into that reality. Now, the the accidents don't, you know, look like flesh and blood, which what that means is that you see... Bread, you see wine, but in reality, beneath them, the substance has changed to flesh and blood. The problem with that now okay, so let's actually let's just keep going for a moment. uh the memorialist view says something very similar. it has to be that to be that, but it's not that if it if it says, you know, this is my body' is my blood, it's not that, so what is it? it we have to focus on they do this in remembrance of me, right. Now, the Lutheran view is called consubstantiation, and and they tend to say, you know, Christ's body is physically present in the bread and the wine, you know, over it, under it, around it, in it, through it, blah, 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 blah. Here's the problem with that. Jesus specifically says that this is his body. Now, is Jesus everywhere all at once? The answer to that is yes, in his divinity. It's what's called, what theologians call the ubiquity of Christ. That means all over the place, right? You know, he's the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so maybe a Lutheran or Roman Catholic would say, sure, Christ can be present physically in all of these sacraments because he's ubiquitous. He's everywhere. Now, Calvin and Cramner and and Ridley, who are kind of the, the English reformers, and Calvin was supporting them from Geneva, they said, hey, here's the problem. Christ Jesus is ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. That's where his body is at. He just has one body, just like you or me. He doesn't have a special or different body. He has a human body. Therefore, that body can't be in all of this bread all over the place. So what's happening? Well, it's an image of the communion that we have with God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into the very presence of God so that we commune with him as we are brought into the very throne room of God. That In the Eucharist, we we are literally raised into the presence of Jesus so that we can feast upon that place where divinity is brought to us in his very flesh and in his very blood. And that gives us life. And so this whole question of, you know, is Christ coming down to us? Are we going up to him? I mean, who knows? But all that we know is that we are fed by the very body of Christ and by the Holy Spirit. We are brought into his very presence so that Christ is truly communing with us, giving us life and sustaining us. And here's the beautiful reality is that the new heavens and the new earth, because Jesus says, you know, you're going to have eternal life if you feast upon me. Human beings always get more hungry. That's not a part of the fall. We often think hunger is a part of the fall. No, the inability to satiate hunger due to famine is a part of the fall. But hunger is not a part of the fall. If hunger was a part of the fall, then Adam and Eve would never have a cue as to when they needed to eat. Human beings are contingent creatures. We were always meant to seek out food to show us that God always generously provides for us, right? That's why he set us in a garden that didn't have to toil in. You know, they did have to tend it and keep it, but it was teeming with life as a gift from God. So, too, this is why we celebrate the sacrament every week. Baptism is once, right? You, that, that reveals the gift of new life in Christ. You are born one time. But once you are born, you need to eat. You need to commune with the bread of life daily. And then that is revealed corporately, weekly in the sacrament where Christ says, I will feed you with the very bread of life that is myself, the one who died for you, the one who rose for you, the one that shed his blood for you. He is the one that is outside of you yet comes into you to give you life. And this is the beautiful reality too, is that we see that the the supper is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that will have no end. The wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, why are we invited to a wedding feast of the Lamb? Well, the Lamb is there. Christ Jesus is there. He is the one we feast upon forever. You will never outgrow your need to feast upon Christ Jesus. The Eucharist is done every week to show us what we're going to do forever together. He is the bread of life that we need to sustain us in life, and you never Stop needing that reality. Mm-hmm. Focusing on the bread just
0: for a minute, two minutes more. Um, I don't remember. I thought about putting this in the lesson with the fourth and fifth graders, but I don't think I got the chance to. Um, but every time we celebrate the Eucharist, you start by lifting up the bread. We, you pray the prayer over it. And from one bread, you break off. Mm-hmm. We start with one bread or one dough. I know for a fact that the person who makes the bread starts with one dough to respect this.
1: Yeah, the one. Yeah. Um,
0: and then from that, each piece is broken off mm-hmm. and given to everybody. And I think that is such a beautiful illustration of if we're communing with Christ, all of us, then we are communing together. But I'd, I'd love to hear you expound
1: on that a little bit more. Yeah, so that's just, that brings up the second word that Christ Jesus is speaking. The first word he's speaking is that life is found in him and him alone. The second word he is speaking is that he is making us into one body. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 7 says this, Therefore, my beloved, which is my favorite word for the church, my beloved. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Now, this word here, participation, is actually the word koinonia, which means fellowship. But participation is incredibly important um, in theology as a category. So, you know, if you've ever studied Plato, uh, you know that there's this idea that physical realities that you and I see participate in heavenly realities that give them um, a deepened sense of truth. So, Plato called those the forms, right? So we see all kinds of various triangles in the world, but there is a form of the perfect triangle that these other triangles kind of in a shadowy way participate in. So what does that mean? There is something that you're a part of, but distinct from, but you participate in while not collapsing into it. Right? So, you know, this whole idea of, um, enlightenment is like you actually kind of collapse into being itself. That's not a Christian view. Christian view says you still maintain your unique creaturehood, but you can participate in realities that are beyond you so that you actually commune with them. You become part of something else while not collapsing into it and losing your unique individuality as a creature. So this, this, you know, categories... Interestingly enough, I think God used someone like Plato or Aristotle to kind of prepare early church theology to understand Paul because Paul uses something similar when he talks about participation. Now, it's interesting. Jesus says something very similar when he talks about a branch upon a vine, right? A branch participates in the vine. It is distinct from the vine. The vine can exist independent of the branch, right? You lop off a branch, it becomes a twig, but the vine stays the same. But a, a branch can't exist outside of participating with the vine, out of receiving life from it, out of communing with it, out of being a part of it in a substantive sense. So participation is this beautiful word that we use when we just frankly can't quite fully describe what we're trying to say right so we are united to christ and the new testament talks about being clothed in him hidden in Him, united to Him like a branch to a vine. We participate in Him. We find our identity in Him. We are made adopted because we're united to the one true Son. We are made royal children because we're united to the King. We're made priests because we participate in the one who sits in the very throne room of God. It's all participation language. It's all participation language. We are united to the one who is more fully that than we are right? There is a son. We are united to the son. So therefore, that's how we're adopted. There's a priest. We're united to the priest. That's how we can go into the very throne room of God. Now, it's interesting here. We see that same image being given in this Eucharistic way, right? that There is this communion koinonia with wine, but it's specifically talked about with bread that we all participate in communing with one bread. And therefore, We commune with one another as one body. Now, why is that so significant? The Eucharistic meal is the very reality that Christ uses to symbolize and to actualize the unity of the church. This is why we all come together and we participate in this one bread that you're right. It comes from one dough, although we're breaking it off all over the place. Uh, The woman who makes it every Sunday morning, and sometimes it's even warm when it's in my hands when I'm doing the fracture, which is the the breaking of the bread. It's all coming from one place as it participates in this reality of Christ Jesus. And so when we come forward to receive the sacrament and you see all of those people flowing forward forward what you're seeing is a body at work, a body collectively being nourished by Christ Jesus, a body that is, yes, made up of many parts, but is ultimately one. You know, Andrew, do you know why the passing of the peace is situated right before the Eucharist? I was really hoping you would bring this up because this is like one of my
0: favorite details. Because we have to like, give that peace that forgiveness that love to like exercise our unity with one another
1: mm-hmm. before
0: we join into the sacrament of our unity with one another that's right
1: the 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 thing that disqualifies someone from coming to participate in the eucharist is division in the church hmm. and you are invited every week to squash the beef right before the eucharist to say do not let another week go by of being disqualified from the unity of the church because of your division. Seek peace, seek reconciliation, and seek the one meal that unites us together. Because whether you realize it or not, you are united to that person. Like the the sacrament is communicating what is already true about the church and bringing that reality to the foreground so that we live into that reality. But you are united to that person. And by being at war with them, you are harming yourself and you are harming those around you. This is one of the reasons why people ask me, you know, why would we let children participate in the Eucharist if if they don't really know how to repent from their sins too much yet? And I say, my response is always, show me a child that has caused a church fracture. And that will be the child I don't let take communion. But all, it's never the children. It's always the adults that are actually the ones that should be disqualified from the sacrament due to sinful behavior. Because the sinful behavior that disqualifies you is, is the sinful behavior of refusing to repent and causing division and fracturings in the church. But Christ Jesus every week invites you, come, repent. Be reconciled. You are reconciled to me. Live into that reality together. Mm. I expect you to throw that
0: in your like normal script now of, all right, and, and peace of the Lord. And also with you, parents, go go greet your children first and also squash your beef. Squash your beef. <laughs> Get it done. <laughs> um, and then we come to lastly, the cup. Um, which has always been for me, and I'd love to hear what you, what you have to say here has always been that reminder of, um, the, the price that was paid for my Mm. redemption, Mm -hmm. um, the death of Christ. For some reason that hits me with the wine more than the bread. Sure. Um, but yeah, that, that promise, that, um, that promise of covenant renewal, Mm. that, that promise of our acceptance in Christ. So as we, as probably the concluding point, I, I want to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. So I love how, how you just, how you brought up, yeah, the, the, the cup, because... What night was uh, the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper instituted? The Passover, right? It's clearly a, a continuation and a fulfillment of the Passover. And what happened at the Passover? A sacrificial lamb was killed for God's people, and their blood was covered over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them as God redeemed them out of Egypt into, you know, the journey to the promised land, right? Right. And it's interesting in the Old Testament, you see that every year there is a covenantal renewal, whether that is the day of atonement or the Passover itself, in which God's people renew the covenant with God and say, God, we've not forgotten you. Do not forget us. And every week in the Eucharist, what we see is Christ Jesus saying, I have not forgotten my promises to you. I have not forgotten that my blood was poured out for you. I have not forgotten that my body was broken for you. You mean so much to me that I died for you. How could I ever forget about you, my precious people? Every week it is God shouting to us in Christ Jesus, I will not forget you. And Here's the reality. I think we've talked about this before. The great sin of the of the Israelites, the great sin of the people of God in the Old Testament, in the people of God today, is that we forget about God. The great sin of the Old Testament is forgetfulness. They would forget that God delivered them out of Egypt and then they would grumble. We might as well go back. You know, have you forgotten you were in living hell over there? You were in slavery, right? Nah, I don't know. At least least I didn't have to eat this quail all the time and all this manna stuff. (laughs) You know, they would forget. But God never forgot them. And so in the Eucharist every week, uh, I love for you as, as you come forward to receive the bread, to receive the wine. Remember these three words God is saying over you. One, I am the place of life. So often we go and we try to eat other things to get life, right? We eat our, our, um, our careers to say, if I consume this, if this comes into me and becomes me, if I become that type of person that's just you know so successful, I'll have life. If my children love me and give me those words of affirmation I'm looking for, I'll have life, right? If my spouse will finally speak to me the way I, I just need them to speak to me. Then I'll have life, right? I need something to come outside of me, to come into me, to give me life. In Christ Jesus is saying, I am the one place where you can actually find life. That's the first word he speaks. The second word he speaks is, you are one body, whether you like it or not. So act as one body be reconciled to one another, share a family meal, celebrate together. I've given you one another as a gift to you, not as a curse. I called you to this church, not by accident, but with purpose. Why would you think that this is a curse instead of a gift? Be reconciled, love one another. And then third, I have not and never will forget you. That's what we celebrate every week. And why would you ever not do that every, every week? That's what I just, I can't get my mind around. And I know, I know it's, it's, it's difficult. Like, you know, but uh, I I just don't understand why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't. Yeah. I also don't.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that is a great place to end this episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.